0: This is Dissecting Dragons, a speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers, by writers and readers.
1: Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, the fairest of them all, the pursuit of beauty as a literary device.
0: So we have come so close to discussing this concept off the back of so many episodes, um, but that's largely been by accident.
1: Yeah, um, and I have to say it's it's one of those subjects that is kind of difficult to approach and it's been niggling away at the back of my mind for a while. Um, and then I, I've been sort of this year doing um, reading lists for myself because I found that's actually made me more effective in getting through... I had Okay, look, I admit I had 40 arcs that I had to get through, and I've now reduced that list down to six, so obviously making reading lists for myself every month is actually quite effective. Um, but looking at my reading list for this month, it included things like The Picture of Dorian Grey, um, Every Exquisite Thing by Laura Stevens, which is kind of a gender-bent retelling of The Picture of Dorian Grey. Um, and Rouge by Mona Award, which um, again looks at that kind of um, subject matter mm. and I just thought maybe this is a good time to really try and get into this topic so I'm not promising we can pin everything down in this discussion we may have to revisit it in the future but um, it's an interesting one I think
0: yeah now if you're still sort of at sea over what this episode is actually about don't worry Enlightenment is coming. About this episode, I mean, not just in general, sorry. (laughs) The rapture. Yeah, the the rapture is arriving. We are the prophets of the rapture. Uh, But in short, um, we're talking about perceiving... Or rather, perceived physical beauty, and what long-established psychological pathways it exploits, as well as how this can come into effect in real life, and also the relationship between beauty
1: and horror. Yes. So we're going to start with an obvious but quite difficult question: What is beauty? <laughs> ah. <laughs> this is weirdly
0: a more convoluted question than you would think um so let's say that it's limited to aesthetics generally in human terms it's a set of physical characteristics which often unbeknownst to the observer adhere to the most well they adhere most closely to the golden means of symmetry
1: yeah um, honestly if you're scratching your head and saying why are you mixing aesthetics with maths um you can please take our word for it uh, <laughs> the, the universal beauty standard is the mathematical precision or you know you don't, don't take our word for it there are plenty of articles on this it's really interesting yeah
0: so on the surface you can look at a person say they are beautiful whether or not they appeal to you on a deeper level so i think like there's the difference here between beauty and
1: attraction if that makes sense yeah definitely um here's where it gets tricky different cultures prioritize different characteristics those same cultures also find the obverse of their generally accepted beauty standard appealing so for example um there (laughs) there's an entire sort of subculture in places like japan and china where they actually find larger noses really attractive because they're different or different colored hair is attractive because it's different yeah so uh, that that's just one example but there are lots and lots of others so yeah some people are like yeah this is the the gold standard of of beauty for us and it it adheres very closely to that culture's sort of perceived norms of beauty Mm. um and then you will have groups within that culture who go, actually, I want something a bit different.
0: Yeah. Which is totally cool. Yes. <laughs> so then you add in piquancy, uh, personal taste, or even the fact that an objectively attractive person may have one feature that is um, too extreme, I say, um, in inverted commas, for classic beauty. And yet somehow it actually makes them more attractive. Um, For example, if you described Julia Roberts on paper, you'd probably go, sure, she's attractive until you got to the description of just how wide her mouth is, especially when she smiles. And then you might be forgiven for thinking you are now reading about a vaguely horrific fake creature. and yet seen on camera or in person and she is objectively beautiful even with um her wide mouth
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it seems like it's an unfair thing to say but most people when they smile may show the start of their first premolar julia roberts actually shows the start of her molars (laughs) so you're seeing like all all the way back into her mouth both top and bottom which is really unusual and yet if she just had this sounds awful it sounds like i'm picking her apart i'm really not i genuinely think she's gorgeous Mm. and she's got so much presence and stuff as well which only adds to it which we'll get into in a minute um but it's like having very full lips and a, a very wide mouth and a smile that You know, it doesn't go from ear to ear, but that's what we're thinking of when we say an ear-to-ear smile. Mm. Um, Weirdly, it kind of lifts her from being, yeah, she's generically good-looking to she's absolutely stunning. So it's strange how things that don't really fit the classic pattern can actually lift you even further into the realms of being really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I. it is one of those things. And you see small examples of it and how people have acknowledged that and used that throughout history by creating features which break up the, the perfect symmetry and therefore kind of make it more attractive. Um, but also I, I think just from a very personal level, um, one thing I've kind of struggled with when i when I watch american t v versus british t v is obviously there's a, there's an ongoing joke which is that the the b b c has a set number of actors that they will just recycle <laughs> um and the fact is that if I watch american t v you see a lot of people who are you know according to the to the ratio very attractive people and then you look at the b b c and you have actors who look a bit weird, actually. And I say yeah. weird, and, and I don't really mean. And this is the thing: is that they are attractive, but they don't follow this ratio. Um,
1: you know that. But well, uh, they do, but they don't follow the convention as we understand it.
0: Exactly, exactly. Um, and so they... you they get kind of (laughs) compared to all sorts of stuff they say oh they're kind of weird looking etc um but they are still attractive um and in some ways i i will think well actually there's something more attractive about them because there is this individuality about them they are not the norm whereas i have definitely watched some american tv and got mixed up between characters on the show because they look too alike
1: yeah they, they all sort of i think that's the thing where and again i'm really not picking it at anybody's particular body type or facial structure or anything but you do find certainly with certain shows and it's very noticeable amongst american shows that where um, actors have gone for specific types of um, plastic surgery or whatever um, to fit this generic standard of beauty better, mm. that actually they kind of lose a bit of their character, their own personal character, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, this is not me saying you should do it, you shouldn't do it, because ultimately it's your body and you can change it if you want to. Yeah. Um, but I, if we're talking about pure aesthetics, I think that is you know, it's an interesting thing to consider.
0: Yeah. And what's particularly interesting is the fact that there is more, perhaps more of a culture of that maybe in America than you do get in the UK. Um, maybe because Los Angeles is more prevalent with that kind of thing. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's so it's, and it's an example of how beauty standards are different across different cultures different countries etc even ones that you think are very similar they're actually not always
1: i think we've kind of got a thing in the uk whereby we we look at somebody who has maybe had a bit too much work done or we consider it too much work or they've tried too hard they're too lacquered they're too polished and We just don't find that as attractive. Whereas in America, it's kind of like, well, beauty is attainable for a price.
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I think that is a a personal thing. It's like, for example, um, I kind of find when people have teeth that are too white for that to actually be kind of
1: a bit freaky. (laughs) Yeah. Where they're like, no, teeth aren't actually supposed to be like paper white. Generally, if teeth are paper white, then generally they're very weak because they don't have enough calcium in them. So they should actually be a slightly more creamy color. Yeah. So when people really, really have the shit bleached out of their teeth, it's like, you know, oh my god! It's that whole episode of Friends where Ross leaves it leaves the <laughs> leaves the um, bleach on too long and ends up with glow in the dark teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's which just... which isn't a thing by the way, but is very very illustrative of this thing.
0: Yeah but it it was yeah i i just i remember seeing it and uh people like, oh look at those pearly whites and i was like it, for me it was uncanny valley i was like this that's the kind of thing you see in a fey
1: creature that's about to eat you <laughs> that's not right yeah absolutely um there's also the it factor so mm. obviously i'm not talking stephen king here but um, <laughs> um but basically it, even the most symmetrical and we actually don't like we like symmetry to a certain point but after a certain point, symmetry hits the uncanny valley thing. Yeah. But let's say someone had hit the absolute pinnacle of symmetry as we as humans can accept it and see it, you know, on a very deep level as being indicative of health and therefore a good breeding partner because that's the psychology behind all this, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's empty without a personality behind it, um, or at least it is for most of us. Competence is sexy, so an ordinary-looking person who turns out to be an amazing dancer can suddenly become beautiful yes yeah absolutely
0: Um, and it's cliche to say that beauty is in the eye of the beholder but ultimately it is true Um, and this is even before you add in things like personal connection and sexual attraction both of which are different from sexual attraction
1: both of which are different from aesthetics I think
0: yeah sorry oh sorry yeah, i, no, I mixed up the sentence there sorry both of which are different from aesthetics sorry <laughs> <laughs> my brain was just there like let's just <laughs> let's loop it back to where we began yeah the record skipped them. <laughs> our <laughs> listeners are like wait sexual attraction is different from sexual attraction sorry guys i'm, <laughs> I'm having a moment <laughs> okay So, now that we've established that, um, what does this actually mean in fiction terms? Yeah,
1: so I mean, if that's our start point, then beauty itself is complicated. Um, And it's interesting to look at how it's connected to storytelling.
0: Yes. Now, let's consider fairy tales, uh, because of course we are. some of the best-known tales are concerned with the pursuit of beauty or jealousy um, engendered by another person's beauty.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's a quintessential part of Snow White. It's there in Cinderella. I mean, we've obviously talked about these fairy tales at length and in detail. And um, in their as far as, as close as we can get to their original forms, whereby... The person possessing this innocence and beauty is is physically, corporeally punished for it. Mm-hmm. You think of some of the, the worst, um, the earliest versions of Snow White, where the the stepmother has her physically beaten every day and punched until she's unrecognizable. Yeah, so it's very much a two edged sword.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, if we head into mythology. There are countless tales of gods punishing hapless beautiful mortals for being beautiful or, and you're hardly any better off in the sto- if the story does go this way, falling in love with them which is another form of punishment
1: yeah, <laughs> more often kind of, than not. <laughs> certainly, certainly if we look at Greek myth, you kind of want to not be noticed by the gods. You just want to carry on with your life from beginning to end without anybody really noticing you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Please you don't, don't notice me, like... Zeus. Please don't notice me
1: me <laughs> so not just zeus but any of the others you don't want the goddesses noticing that you're very good at weaving and you happen to be extremely pretty or anything either because you might end up being turned into a spider yeah so it's it's kind of like yes live a normal life it's actually not necessarily something to be sneered at in those particular stories yes <laughs>
0: um and then there's the ingrained psychological pathway um that beauty is shorthand for
1: Goodness. Yeah, this is an interesting one, and it's something that's always stuck with me. Um, a few years ago, I went on a training course, and it was regarding—I want to say—listening. It's not really listening, sort of the listening and communicating with with people. And one of the the exercises, this guy who was running the course, uh, spent ten minutes reading what was effectively a story to us—a fairy tale—and mm-hmm. then afterwards he made us go on a break for five minutes and then we came back and he asked us questions and we had to write down the answers to these questions Mm -hmm. he was asking us questions about this story and it was literally just true or false stuff um i can't even remember the entirety of the story but it was very typical fairy tale stuff and he said okay true or false the princess was very beautiful every single person in that class and there was 25 of us said yes And actually when he went back and read the start of that story what it said was the princess was very good in our minds we had transposed good with beautiful because that is the fairy tale mode that's how deeply ingrained it is that's insane it's insane but it's very much a thing and it's one of those things where he said this is the sort of thing where you've kind of got to drill down a bit further and and decide on nuance because you know, it's the whole beauty is truth, truth is beauty thing, and it's like, that might genuinely be true, but at the same time, beauty has its own nuances as well, and so does goodness.
0: That is a really cool experiment.
1: Yeah, so it's always stayed with me, I'm like, actually, yeah. <laughs> I have learned something. This was not a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um So... I
0: feel like we should touch on the uh, the subject of pretty privilege.
1: Yes, the big pink dragon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, I'm going to speak for myself here. This is something that irritates me, and because I'm getting a bit fed up with everything being linked to a specific privilege, um, like. You know, a genuine privilege, like happening to be born in a country which is stable, that is in a war zone, that has a socioeconomic infrastructure that won't let you starve, or a healthcare system that won't put you in indentured servitude to pay off debts. Mm-hmm. It's now being muddled together by people complaining that any luck of the draw slight advantage you were born with is in some way comparable, and I don't think this is true. I've seen something recently where people are saying that if you are attracted to someone because they are intelligent, then you are in some way prejudiced against people who are not. And it's like, no, that comes down to a personal preference thing. That's Mm -hmm. a case of, no, I would like to be able to hold a conversation with you. I would like us to be of similar intellectual ability because we're definitely going to pull in harness a lot better if we are
0: yeah Uh, it is yeah it's one of those things uh, where personal tastes and discrimination I think are different things discrimination is to with intention discriminate against someone not just to happen to be attracted to something else
1: So there's a lot of, if you happen to be pretty or you happen to be intelligent, you should sit down and shut up and let other people talk. And just be grateful that you are what you are. And I, I find that a really reductive thing to do, because society is made up of lots and lots of different types of people, and we need all those different perspectives. We do not need an absolutist model of, yes, everybody should be aiming to be mundane, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a cruel way, I just mean because everybody's got something that raises them above the level of ordinary it's just whether or not it's it's particularly valued and if it's not well that kind of does suck but you can always make the most of what you're given yeah um, and i'm not saying that opportunity is fair across the board it absolutely isn't we've only got to look at what's going on in the world at the moment i mean we've got various countries all at war with each other still yeah let's not forget ukraine and russia are still going so you know some of that really is luck um you've got Places in the world where you cannot be educated if you're a female because it's it's not allowed. It's now against the law. Yeah. Um, so let's not let's not minimise other people's suffering by saying, "Oh no, well I happen to be slightly more intelligent than average. I should make myself small," because I hate that attitude. Yeah. That's my rant on this. Yeah, I would agree. Now, with
0: regards to pretty privilege. Um, while it's nothing like having the ability to speak freely without being shot at for your efforts the reality is it can and it does grease the wheels for some people um and you know this is not just something that we're saying there have been experiments with this a lot of social experiments you can go online and find one right now um which is probably running (laughs) right as we speak um (laughs) um and that doesn't mean that you should hold yourself back and not use what you've been given. You know, as Jules was said, uh, was saying, don't minimize yourself. If you're clever, then both of us hope that you are using your cleverness um, and making the most out of it. If you're talented, um, you know, hopefully you're able to take the classes necessary to expand your advantage and use it and if you're pretty there's nothing wrong with making the most of that and judiciously using it when you need to
1: yeah absolutely i think the problem is not being beautiful per se it's the excessive value we attach to that quality and hand in hand with that goes the preoccupation with youth Um, there are many many people who were like oh yes i was beautiful in my youth and it's like it's quite sad that the perception is that you lost that quality that it didn't evolve as you grew older um because i think for a lot of people it's like no you can you can absolutely see you're still an attractive person it's just you're not 16 anymore none of us stay 16 forever thank god otherwise the world would be run by complete psychopaths (laughs) (laughs) look we don't have frontal lobes when we're 16 not complete ones yeah um so so yeah um but we should we don't necessarily need to tear down the system and say no everybody should be aspiring to be plain it should just be no let's expand our perception of what beauty is and who is allowed to possess it and i think you'll find that pretty much everybody is allowed to possess it their own their own style of it if you see what i mean
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: whether it meets the golden mean and generic classical attractiveness or not
0: <laughs> yeah in the end it comes down to picking partners um most people want companionship and understanding beauty will not put you significantly ahead of the race unless you back it up with intelligence compassion um ideally a sense of humour um you may get a lot of people falling at your feet but in the end the connections will be fairly empty um all of which should probably be told to teenagers but that we
1: digress (laughs) i think that would have been a useful thing i don't know what it was like for you because obviously we're a generation apart but um certainly the whole emphasis on and the absolute horror of aging that was imposed on us as teenage girls Mm. and it's like no it, it it needn't be like that we don't need to have that perception of the world you don't lose value as you get older and you really shouldn't be valuing yourself entirely on on where you stand on the pretty scale either.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just also for anyone who's listening going, well, hold on a second. When we're, we're talking about intelligence, that doesn't necessarily mean academic intelligence. No, you know, There's lots and lots of different forms of intelligence. We're not saying you need to be... You know, if you're not a neurosurgeon, (laughs) you're never going to make meaningful connections with people. That's not it at all. There's lots of different types of intelligence. Um, And yeah, ultimately, connections with people are going to sort of depend on different types and stuff like that. So please don't misunderstand us in that way.
1: I mean Um, the thing with intelligence is that we assume it's quantitative when in fact it's qualitative so you may actually be of average intelligence but because you're willing to stretch your mind and um, think and question and find things out and work um, you would objectively be more intelligent than someone who started the race way ahead of you but actually didn't do any work if you see what I mean yeah Um, so it's not it's not a fixed state as well Yeah.
0: And, you know, there is something to be said about emotional intelligence. You know, we mentioned compassion, but emotional intelligence is also things like deciding to pursue and think about things from other perspectives and stuff like that. Um, Having not just a naturally empathetic response, but pursuing different thoughts and stuff along those lines. So like we said, lots of different forms of intelligence. But if we go back to beauty, um, you know, beauty can also be its own curse um you can be a perfectly nice person and someone decides to hate and persecute you simply because of how you look um added to which no one else sympathizes because clearly it's your fault for being attractive um and you know the fact of the matter is is that also it It's not always about hate, but also people who are not listening to you, people who will not take you seriously because there is now also this assumption that if you are beautiful, you lack intelligence because you don't need it
1: or that even it doesn't matter even if you are intelligence and, and if you are intelligence if you are, intelligent, if <laughs> you if are you intelligence you are the personification itself. of intelligence um, <laughs> it, that, it, that it doesn't matter because you're beautiful uh, girl, that's the only thing about you that matters and I think it's one of those things where if enough people keep reacting to you like that and you're not a very strong person with a strong core of self hmm. you might start to believe them you might start to think well it probably doesn't matter if i'm intelligent or not yeah so um and you know we're using intelligence just as an example you, there may be many many other qualities that you possess um that people are just not valuing because they're just looking at you and saying yeah everything's in the right place kind of thing mm. that's all i value and that's that's all you then value about yourself so there's nothing wrong with being beautiful and enjoying people admiring you there's nothing wrong with that and i think most of us get that at some point Hmm. um but also there's nothing wrong with wanting a bit more than uh wanting to be taken seriously wanting people to listen to you yeah absolutely
0: so where does this become dangerous
1: um, yeah, there are people who use their, their beauty privilege not just to grease the wheels, but to out and out cause harm. Um, and this is obviously not acceptable. Yeah.
0: Now, we've had several examples of this kind of toxic narcissism in the news over the last year or so. Certain people who have told lies and skated a long way on them because they are perceived to be beautiful.
1: I mean, I have to say... I. I don't want to open a massive can of worms by naming names here, so I'm not going to, but because I could get a bit ranty um, about things and my my real issue is not with who did what, um, but it's with the fact that I feel that people are still looking at certain people and, and going, oh, well, yeah, but we like them because they're pretty and they can't do anything wrong. Mm. Um, and that's my real issue there. It's like, I don't care how beautiful they are, they're still an absolute nutjob. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing nasty stuff to people. Um, but no, I had a really long, in-depth discussion with with Alan about this, and he said, well, yeah, I, you're right, everything you're saying is right, but at the same time, I can't help looking at this person and and you know wanting to give them sort of 10 to 15% more of a chance because they are beautiful and he said we are a lot of us wired that way that doesn't mean that we're you know destined to be sort of taken in by these people although it can be mm. but it means that you know we're less likely to question um, and, and you know it, it took quite a long time on one particular case for him to come around and say no you're right this person's a total psychopath <laughs> and it's like yeah i could see that and yeah i can objectively see this person is absolutely beautiful everything is is very sort of it it adheres to the golden mean but this is a garbage excuse for a human being this person is a dumpster fire of toxicity (laughs) why has it taken so many people so long to notice this it's insane Mm. so um so yeah but you know from a writer's perspective that's really interesting because if you ever want to draw on that that's that's a fun thing to to sort of play with from either perspective
0: yeah yeah absolutely um (laughs) sorry it is I'm trying I'm sorry I'm trying not to laugh because I I know um, who you're talking about
1: Uh, anyway there's a couple but yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. basically if you want some guilt-free schadenfreude please enjoy watching these people fall on their faces they don't deserve it because they're beautiful they deserve it because they are horrible people
0: (laughs) yes okay so let's bring it back to books so we mentioned earlier but beauty has a relationship with horror um and perhaps it's because most people are average or averagely attractive from an objective standpoint. You know, utter beauty is actually comparatively rare, um, and often it sort of tips the boundary into freakish.
1: Yeah, because anything that's rare kind of walks that line, as in it wouldn't take very much to step over that line, and it's like, whoa, kind of the, the uncanny valley, as you say. Or, yeah. Uh, just that there's something genuinely not right there you are too symmetrical yeah
0: (laughs) which i've definitely used as a literary device
1: yeah freaky um in literature terms beauty as an exploratory device is invaluable um from the classic contrast between how someone looks and how they behave so Snow white uh to tales of jealousy and revenge to the body horror labs of what people will do to be beautiful in sort of dystopian type fiction it's definitely a rich trove for the writer
0: yeah so let's actually look at a few examples before you go (laughs) what are you talking about (laughs) yeah um um, we're going to start with an old classic uh, which is the picture of dorian gray by oscar wilde
1: yeah, this is a great one. So obviously, this is on my reading list for this month, but I have to hold my hand up here and say, I haven't read this for 10 years. So generally, I find when there's that much of a gap on rereads with a book, I normally find something new if that book is has got anything worth saying, it, which I'm sure it has because, you know, it's Oscar Wilde. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to claim to be the most informed here. But the The basic outline is obviously you have Dorian Gray, who is a beautiful young man at the you know literally just just hitting the, the pinnacle of, of youth and perfection, as it were. Mm-hmm. And he is an inspiration for the painter. I want to say Basil Basil yeah. Hardwick. Is. Yeah, is Hardwick or is it something like that? The name is Basil. Um, who you know, we're kind of given to believe that Basil's kind of in love with Dorian. Yeah. And uh, a sort of snooty, um, sort of old lord, Lord Wotton, or Lord of Wotton, something like that, yeah. is nearby. And he says something which Dorian takes to mean that the only things worth pursuing are pleasure and beauty. And Dorian kind of wishes that, um, that he may never, ever age or show the effects of anything he does in his life Um, that his portrait may may bear these things instead yes which sets us up for a beautiful gothic horror
0: (laughs) yeah Uh, it's very interesting for a number of reasons and it's also one of those things which i think gets lost in translation when it's been adapted um yeah so there are two big things so um lord henry or harry Um, is this this older lord who kind of takes dorian under his wing and one of the things that I, i always found very interesting about his character is that he likes to just come out with these statements and he doesn't always really know what he's going to say and he does it to shock he does it to entertain he doesn't actually really truly believe it though um and he doesn't realize the effect that his words are actually having on Dorian or perhaps he does and he enjoys it um but it creates this very interesting thing where you actually see a contrast between what Lord Henry says and what he is actually like so he he makes disparaging comments about his wife for for jokes but he's actually he actually mourns her when she does die. He did actually care about her, um, yeah. and he kind of inserts this influence, this this i this very small idea about what beauty is and what society is on Dorian, and ends up shaping him. And what's interesting for me there is that we get this idea of both beauty itself being moulded, but also internal beauty being molded by society and i think the other thing which always gets me is in every adaptation i've seen so far of dorian gray they have cast someone with dark hair and stuff like that um and they kind of Uh, for me that's failing to miss the point which actually adds to the horror particularly for the period that it was written in dorian gray is is like a cherub in the you know the, the 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 artistic sense he's got this golden hair these blue eyes he is not this sort of dark kind of um cursed sort of person and we still have this idea of dark hair being mysterious etc Oscar Wilde was very purposefully drawing on these notions and ideals of goodness within the community so he does choose the golden hair the pale skin, the blue eyes. Dorian Gray looks like an angel and that was the whole idea that oscar wilde was going for he has a person who physically represented for victorian's goodness and purity and the reality is that he is anything but good and pure he becomes increasingly selfish he's very self-centered he goes on to commit several acts of, <laughs> of murder
1: uh, <laughs> yeah he tried he, he almost his very youth and beauty and the perception of goodness becomes a curse to him yeah. because there's something missing within him and he cannot find it within him. So he searches for it outside of himself yeah. by indulging in pretty much every sort of vice. The sort of things that in Victorian times were thought to and probably did because they would give you things like COPD and fatty liver disease, cetera, yeah. Um that that should have either killed him off or made him extremely unattractive the sort of vices that would have left physical marks upon him but of course they don't they only do it to his portrait
0: yeah and it it is it's very interesting that this obsession with beauty um doesn't just go in terms of what he looks like but how he is perceived in general um for example you know he falls in love with this actress And he just thinks she's marvellous, she's amazing, and she falls in love with him. And so he hurries to bring his friends to the show so they can see her perform. But at this point, she's so distracted because she's so in love with him that she doesn't perform as well. And he's so embarrassed by that that he breaks it off with her, which basically is the thing that triggers a whole bunch of nonsense. (laughs) Um... And so, um, yeah, it's this perceived need of not just physical beauty, but th- that whole kind of the society he's struggling to maintain that. And that's what brings him down this very, very dark path.
1: Yeah, that very pursuit of maintaining his youth and beauty kind of makes life lose all meaning for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas if he'd set himself something else as a goal as in, I don't know, I want to find the lost city of Zed or (laughs) you know, I want to discover the roots of proto-Indo-European or or what have you something that, you know was a less selfish life goal that didn't hurt other people he would have probably got more satisfaction out of his life than he did with you know, all the opium, sex, drugs etc. Yeah,
0: absolutely um so yeah it is and and his need to maintain that is that when he does reveal his secret this ugliness to basil and basil immediately starts talking about okay well you need to pray you need to etc um he kills him yeah because (laughs) he cannot have that part of him exposed and the thing at the end is that at the end of the novel he tries to kill that part of him he tries to destroy the painting um and the fact of the matter is is that he cannot destroy that part of him because at the end of the day that is the true part of him and sorry for spoilers but guys it's been around for a while um (laughs) Since 1891, come yeah. on. <laughs> The story obviously ends, which is that he goes to destroy the painting, and they, the household, hear this terrible cry, and they go up and they find this ugly, withered old man who just looks evil, and this absolutely beautiful portrait, um, because in the end, the truth. You know, <laughs> was him, and the portrait was just that. his beauty was an illusion, a mask.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So he stabs the portrait and and it turns out that he's really just stabbing himself. so the division was never that great, yeah, in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. So it's kind of disturbing actually, but and it is a, a great Gothic story. It's um, Oscar Wilde's only novel. Although he's written plenty of, he did write plenty of short stories. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a great discussion on is, is beauty the same as goodness? And if not, <laughs> why not? Yeah. And obviously, coming from Oscar Wilde's perspective of uh, being a gay man in London at a time mm-hmm. when it was illegal to be gay and you could theoretically be hanged for it, and he certainly was imprisoned for it.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I do a lot a large part of me thinks that part of the inspiration for Dorian Gray was um his his lover. Oh, Bosie Yeah. Um because there is something about the selfishness, the the youthfulness, um you know, the, the, the self importance I think that kind of shines through.
1: Yeah yeah i can see that um okay i'm i'll take the next one which i again i admit i haven't read this but this is actually on my list for this month and this is rouge by mona awad Um, mona awad wrote bunny which i mentioned if you know a few months ago Mm -hmm. which is i i described it as the book where it's like i really enjoyed it but i still don't entirely know what i read because it was absolutely fucking nuts (laughs) Um, i have high hopes for rouge being largely the same but rouge focuses on a woman who is obsessed with beauty and it it links the idea of beauty and pain you know that whole beauty is pain thing yeah which we're told which is really not a very healthy or happy thing to be told no um and it's things like um, acid exfoliation and, and various other things. It's got a vaguely really sort of dystopian feel, even though it's not. It's kind of supposed to be set in the present day. Yeah. Um, and apparently it devolves into full-on body horror. So, um, you know, <laughs> Mona <laughs> Awad has clearly gone, yeah, the whole beauty industry thing is... Um, that's kind of a garbage fire, isn't it? <laughs> this is not good.
0: I mean, there is something to be said about that the moment you say acid exfoliation that yep. does just 100 percent sound like something you know from a dystopian that 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 does sound like body horror
1: i mean i remember when i was at university and people were first doing articles about acid facial peels and i remember looking at this and going why the fuck would anyone want to do that <laughs> that's it's not a case of oh yeah it sounds worse than it is it's like no it literally is as bad as as it sounds yeah and it's painful and for a week afterwards you're going to go around with acid burned skin
0: yeah what and it's just (laughs) incredibly dangerous it's (sighs) it's very interesting i was i've been watching this new series um which is about um it's set in china um and in the sort of the uh the palace of the courtesans of the emperor, where he would have a hundred courtesans basically, and they'd each, you know, they'd each be his. Um, And they were talking obviously about the fact that his two main courtesans, they had, they'd each had a baby. But what was happening was that the babies were getting sick and no one knew why. And several of the babies had already died. Um, And one of the servants there, used to work for an apothecary and she's the one who figures out that oh the reason the babies are not well and the reason some of these courtesans are not well is that they are using this white powder which is obviously lead yeah and that it was poisoning them and there is this whole story about um you know the use of lead to maintain this this very pale beautiful youthful looking skin and she has this kind of very angry outburst about the fact that um, what what the cost is and that in trying to keep themselves youthful these women are actually not only rushing their deaths but also damaging themselves to the point where they become ugly as it were
1: yeah it ruins your complexion yeah. Um, even as it seemed to conceal and smooth it is
0: yeah it, yeah it hollows out your eyes you know you, it's just it doesn't do very good things for you um, and it's one of those interesting things because it's the same with things like you know sunbeds and, and stuff like that obviously um, Coco Chanel was the one who in, in Europe really started to sort of popularise the idea of be- being tanned for example, rather than having very pale skin. So th- it was a fairly recent kind of thing where the idea of tan being a beauty sign within sort of a fashionable thing. Um, and so people, you know, have been using sunbeds and stuff like that. But the fact that matter is, is that when your skin tans, that means it's been damaged.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, a certain amount of it is kind of like it's your skin producing melanin to protect your skin, but it really depends where you are. I mean, if you're like me, where you have a lot of Celtic ancestry and Scandinavian ancestry and and what have you, um, you probably don't really naturally tan that much because you're Your ancestors came from places where there wasn't sufficient sun for that to happen. So you're very pale so that you absorb enough vitamin D from sunlight, even when there isn't very much of it. Yeah. So, yes, you should take precautions and look after your skin. Otherwise, you will end up with skin cancer.
0: Yes. And I think the, the other... Th- big thing is that obviously there's a misconception which is that well you know well people never used to have sun sun cream and stuff like that in the past etc yes uh but also we have a, a giant hole in the ozone um people in the past did not have to deal with this level of radiation
1: yeah um and they also used they did actually use to protect their skin with um clothing and hats and um they you know some of them did have creams and then you know if you weren't particularly very wealthy then you might end up being a peasant out in the fields in which case then you you were gonna age a lot faster than yeah people who could afford not to work in the fields for example yeah it's
0: the joke of basically it's like a yeah well people back in the day they didn't have vaccines they didn't have sun cream they didn't have that and they died at the ripe old age of 30 obviously that's an exaggeration but um yeah yeah seriously don't compare yourself to people in the past um but yeah it is this thing where for example um repeatedly tanning um when you don't have necessarily the right kind of skin type for that you know because lots of different skin types etc um will actually result in you usually will result in aging faster you'll get you're more likely to get more wrinkles. There's this amazing picture of a a truck driver who, and you can see his face, and one side of his face is significantly more wrinkled than the other. And it was the side that was next to the window. Yeah. That got all of the sun hitting him directly. Um, And it's really interesting. But again, it's one of those beauty standards, which is that in the pursuit of... Beautiful youthfulness and and capturing that, you are actually throwing away longevity, health, um, and actually beauty itself in terms of the standards which you are trying to meet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um. Oh, back to books. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 that's fine. It was yeah, I, really interesting. I'm just following you down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Just wiggling your little fluffy white tail <laughs> right after you. <laughs> um, okay, let's look at Ferris by Gail Carson Levine, who also yes. wrote Ella Enchanted, obviously. Yeah. Um, Ferris is really interesting. It's but he's kind of a Snow White retelling. Yeah. Um, and the character who is our, our, kind of our Snow White type character um, is well she's part gnomish and she doesn't realize this yeah and she feels very very ugly because she's big and she's stocky and you know she's broad-shouldered she's got the most beautiful singing voice and she's a very talented mimic and very talented at throwing her voice etc um but she doesn't fit the beauty standard of where she is in the world um and she gets herself into all sorts of scrapes just from uh, it's not so much the pursuit of beauty as the pursuit of trying to fit in i think is the thing Uh, what's really interesting is there's no real bad guy in in this version of snow White because the stepmother is a young woman who is again trying to fit in trying to trying desperately to look beautiful and actually the mirror is kind of an evil device (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah it's really interesting how practicing deception in order to appear beautiful it's, it's almost like the Girano de bergerac type thing where you have one person who isn't very attractive supplying all the lines for the person who is very attractive yeah um, And and it, it's not it's not true it's not ultimately it isn't fair i don't know if you've ever seen a film called the truth about cats and dogs but it's got uma thurman and, and i can't remember the other actress but she's a comedian mm-hmm and she's very concerned that you know she's not tall and beautiful and slim like Uma thurman but she is very intelligent and she's a veterinary surgeon and she runs a radio show helping people with their their animals yeah um and she absolutely falls for this photographer who um ends up adopting a dog um but she cannot face him personally even though he's a big fan of the show so she sends uma thurman in to be her proxy and then uma Thur- it gets complicated because uma thurman's character is kind of like well people just look at me and they don't take me seriously but he's actually listening to what i say and he thinks i'm smart it's like you well, know he thinks you're smart because he thinks you're me yeah so he's like well he thinks you're beautiful because he thinks you're me and it, it's it, again it's that whole jorano de bergerac thing whereby yeah <laughs> <laughs> whereby, you know, truth and beauty are not occupying the same space. And I guess that's what's happening in Gail Carson Levine's Fairest as well.
0: Yeah, it is. The other thing about Fairest is it's interesting that essentially the prince does actually just flat out fall in love with the main character. And it, it goes, so she does not conform to the standard beauty, rather to the beauty standards, um, she is still attractive to him. He likes being with her. He is actually attracted to her. He likes the way she looks and he really loves the way she sings.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing because there are one of the standards of beauty for that um, Aorthea, I think is the name of the land, yeah. is being able to sing. There are people with a rich culture of singing and of course this, this poor young woman who's marrying the king, the stepmother, is kind of like she actually doesn't have a very good singing voice it's kind of reedy i mean most people can sing to some extent because ultimately do you say well no you can't sing um but not everybody has a naturally beautiful voice you can train your voice and get the best out of it but it may not ever be as good as somebody who is born with a naturally good voice and also trains it yeah and and that's one of those luck of the draw things he falls for her because of her voice and he, he loves her as you say um but she's using her voice to make this beautiful young woman's stepmother sort of sound beautiful as well, even though it, it's not her. It's re- it's a really intelligent look at the whole what's really beautiful and what isn't thing.
0: Yeah, and the, the the funny thing is that you also find out the stepmother isn't actually that beautiful.
1: No, she's not. She's she's really working hard, and yeah. largely it's because she genuinely does love the king. And the king genuinely loves her. As far as he's concerned, she is beautiful.
0: <laughs> yeah. He fell in love with her before she started using this this um, potion that made her even more beautiful.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it was because she was taking a public role. She suddenly felt the pressure that she had to be perfect. She had to be beautiful. She had to have this perfect singing voice, etc.
0: Yeah. Um, she had to be loved because I think that's the other thing is that she was also in a situation where her personality isn't great. Let's be fair. Um, but she had put all of her, um, sort of, her understanding of people liking her and stuff was based entirely on her beauty. She would put all of her value on the way she looked, but that was when she was in a small town where she happened to be the town beauty because it was, you know, very few people. Yeah, and not then choice, <laughs> yeah. And then the moment she's in the city, and there's lots of other people, including another person who would have been the king's betrothed, who is incredibly beautiful and has an amazing voice. She can't, she can't do that, and but she does not have faith in the idea that the king just happens to really love her.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So that's an interesting one. That's kind of middle grade, but it's it's well worth reading. The same as Ella Enchanted is well worth reading. Yeah. Um, Okay, another one also called Fairest, also about Snow White, uh, by Marissa Meyer, and it's part of her um, Lunar Chronicles, but it's kind of a prequel, and it's from the stepmother's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And the stepmother is you know one of the the lunar people the people who you know originally they came from earth and then they colonized the moon and then there was genetic drift essentially yeah so they they become different and they all develop psychic abilities the ability to cast glamours and distort perceptions etc and what this stepmother is very very good at is casting glamours so that nobody can see what she really looks like yeah and um she's willing to go to great lengths for the people that this glamour doesn't work on Um, so she has an entire group of people they're called shells they don't have psychic abilities of their own but they're also able to see past glamours she has them all sort of rounded up and basically put in put in special schools or you know executed so that Mm -hmm. there's no one around to say that she's not as beautiful as she looks it's it's next level psychopathy (laughs) yeah that is <laughs> it's like yeah anyone who doesn't see me how I wish to be seen is basically shipped off to a concentration camp that is next level
0: yikes <laughs> <laughs> okay um the last one we're going to talk about is the outside uh, by del toro
1: yes Um, this is part of Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities which is kind of an anthology which you can watch on Netflix Mm -hmm. I do recommend it it's a lot of interesting creepy stories Um, but this one in particular stuck with me and it's a woman who again she feels very average not very attractive her husband thinks she's beautiful her husband loves her and thinks she's great but she goes to work and she doesn't fit in with the women she works with and they're all sort of like twittering together and happy and what have you and talking about the latest beauty products and she kind of gets ignored and it's not deliberate it's just they don't feel that there's anything that they have in common with her so she kind of gets sidelined yeah um and then eventually she gets asked along to a like a secret santa kind of event and she's a bit weird so she gives her secret santa person um a piece of taxidermy that she's done because that's what she does Mm Mm-hmm and everybody else is given these skincare boxes of of lotion and it's this weird lotion that you use and it's supposed to make you beautiful Um, but she starts having weird hallucinations with them Um, it's essentially burning her skin and yeah she comes out the other side uh, comparatively beautiful although I think it's a really interesting choice that uh, the, the actress looks no more different than if she put on a bit of makeup and brushed her hair <laughs> but it's the belief that she's beautiful and yeah as part of all this her husband's like stop doing this to yourself you're hurting yourself and she can kills him whoa <laughs> so again there's several points in the story where she could turn back and say no this is insane why would you do this just so that other people who are essentially quite empty people are not terribly interesting why did I want to hang out with these weirdos um, so that they approve of me so that I fit in why would I do that to myself and she doesn't She this pursuit of beauty destroys who she used to be which is again kind of the Dorian Gray thing isn't
0: it yeah yeah absolutely oh well that's very unsettling
1: the strong relationship between beauty and horror (laughs) right there
0: okay well we're sort of going to finish off by sort of talking about using beauty as a characteristic um in in your own writing yeah um now we're never going to say don't do something um as an absolute because there might be a time and a place when writing a book when it is appropriate so you know us we we don't say never
1: (laughs) and similarly if you want to write about beautiful characters have at it i mean look at anne rice or look at anne rice's work rather (laughs) (laughs) just everyone look at anne rice (laughs) put in mouth right there okay um Almost all her characters look very different, and they have very different body types, Um, and yet she describes them in ways that make you see them as beautiful, because to her, beauty is a mutable characteristic which adheres to many different kinds of people. And it's one of the things I like reading about, like with reading Anne Rice's book, is because I feel that she gives me a new appreciation for beauty, and it's really a strong component, like there'll be beautiful old houses, beautiful landscapes... Uh, the way that the characters see each other make you see them as beautiful as well. And it's not simply a case of, oh, well, I didn't want to people my novels with supposedly ugly people. Because you can't look at anyone and say, well, actually, you completely hit the gold standard of of classic generic beauty, because some of them do and some of them don't, and some of them are very much sort of like, well, they were very fashionable at the time. Mm. It's more a case of, you look at these strange creatures... And you find them beautiful because of their strangeness as much as anything else. I mean, let, let, she is like talking about vampires and mummies and mm. Taltos and witches, etc. Yeah. Um, but they are human as well. It's the human side of stuff that makes them really interesting. So, yeah, you can absolutely completely people all your books with beautiful people if you want. It's how you do it that matters.
0: Yeah. However, if you are using beauty or plainness or even ugliness as a plot point, make sure you give it good context. Be very careful what you link it to. Also make sure that's not the only quality that you give that character, unless you are doing that to make a point.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a, if you're like, well, I've got, uh, or oh, I don't know, I've got this, this gorgeous blonde goddess, etc. And there's literally nothing there, and that is kind of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know, the beautiful young man stereotype, and like, that's literally it. He's 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 just basically a himbo kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then okay, but you know, be very clear to your reader that that's what you're doing. Yeah.
0: Speaking of himbos, uh, beauty can be played for laughs. Um, yes. In a way that says a lot about your viewpoint character as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it also, again, it doesn't need to be the only thing. So you can have a character who is very beautiful and they've never really had to exert themselves or think or whatever. And then suddenly they're in a situation where it doesn't matter how beautiful they are. They've got to find something else. And they discover that they're actually quite resourceful. I kind of like that as a storyline.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You can also have attractive characters who don't know they're hot, but handle it with care or you will lose your reader because there is something to be said about a lot of beauty you know particularly if you're hitting certain standards it it requires a certain level of maintenance which means that you do also have to be aware of it and also i think that if you are actually attractive you are likely to be aware of it because right or wrong people will usually be you know, vocal about that. Now, like we say, you can never say never. There might be several situations why someone is not aware of their beauty. For example, they might be in a new place where they have a feature, which up until that point, no one where they were from noticed, which is now, you know, actually seen as something else somewhere else it can be because they have been in a very closeted environment or they've consistently been told they're ugly their entire lives um etc there might be any number of reasons why someone might not be aware of their beauty but you've got to think about it so if you do have someone who isn't aware of their beauty why are they not aware of their beauty and what kind of beauty do they have
1: yeah it might be a case if they've just gone through a really gawky ugly duckling teenage stage (laughs) Mm-hmm. or you know which i can kind of sympathize with to be honest
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's one of the things that i'm doing at the moment in um the latest uh kestrel novel that i'm writing um i'm stockpiling guys <laughs> um where kestrel is not ugly but she's not beautiful she's a fairly normal looking person. Um, If she puts in an effort, then she can look pretty. You know, she's not an ugly person. Um, But for the most part, she's surrounded by supernaturally good looking people. Um, So Yes, she could absolutely have a day, you know, where she is beautiful. She could, other people could call her beautiful, but she's not in the same way. She's not as noticeable. And it's very distinctive by the fact that obviously she's walking around with
1: Galahad, who is <laughs> insanely good looking. He's like Apollo's better looking younger <laughs> brother.
0: Yes. And she, in this latest book, she's spending some time in fairy, the realm of fairy, And she's finding people are suddenly attracted to her and she doesn't get it because she knows what she looks like and she knows what they look like so she isn't quite sure what's happening and she realizes that it's because they really are not actually seeing her physically they are seeing her magic they are seeing because that is really what it boils down to and so the beauty standard has changed she's attractive because she's powerful and there is something attractive about her, her, the signature of her magic. Um, again, it just happens to be a natural thing. People are drawn to it. Yeah. Um, and so she's suddenly in this situation where she's like, I don't understand why people are treating me like I'm a great beauty. Um, and it's like, well, a <laughs> number of reasons. One is political. The other is, you know, that actually you do have an attractive magic. And here is a place where people can see that.
1: Yeah yeah definitely yeah. Um, generally people of similar levels of attractiveness end up together it's mm-hmm. not a universal constant and beauty is not the only quality definitely mm-hmm. um, but you will have a lot of explaining to do if one person looks like a goddess and the other looks like a bog beast <laughs> Please use that for Kestrel. Absolutely, have at it. <laughs> it's now yours, my gift to you. Galan looks like a god. Kestrel looks like a pork beast. <laughs> oh, incredible! Writing that down. Um, you yeah, know, all, all joking aside, it's not necessarily a universal con constant, as I said, but in most cases you find that people of similar levels kind of end up together um, so I think the thing is people are, people tend or rather readers tend to get annoyed when they have oh yeah um, he's an absolute Adonis kind of thing and mm-hmm. I'm just the plain whatever put in whatever characteristics you want for the female character mm. um, and yet he thinks I'm wonderful and they never explain why
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, and this this line, you know, from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah, always comes in, you know, with um, is it she's Jessica? Is that is that it? Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, yeah Jessica Rabbit. Where they say, you know, why would you be with a guy like him? You know, the implication is you could have anybody. Why him? And her whole thing is, well, he makes me laugh, um, and i really like that because there is this assumption which is that if you are beautiful you could be with anybody okay so why are people getting funny about me being with the person i've chosen
1: <laughs> yeah it's um it, it's that dolly parton song jolene isn't it mm-hmm. and it, it's like oh you could t- you know please don't take him just because you can't this is someone beautiful who's coming in and toying with people's hearts and i remember as a teenager thinking oh god this is an awful thing okay i was about 13 Um, (laughs) and then much later on in life i listened to that song and it's like aside from the fact that it's a banging tune because it really is yeah um it's like this this is a funny country story and ultimately if you can lose somebody that easily just because little miss auburn hair green eyes walks past and bats her eyes in his direction, then he's not really worth hanging on to, says, she's doing you a favour.
0: Yeah. So, um, interesting my, perspective. My favourite versions of that is that people have been taking it and rolling with it, and they go, Jolene, but it continues until she becomes steadily more eldritch, and <laughs> I, I do that. love that. It's just, it's just
1: a, some sort of fey creature that is just... Well, your tentacles beyond compare yeah. with strands of sneaky hair. Yeah. <laughs> It's fantastic. I love that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, sorry, right. Um, Yeah. Back to it's fine to have attractive characters who know they're attractive as well. Um, I really dislike the whole disingenuous addition of body issues when the character clearly knows they're attractive and they really don't have those issues, but the authors felt compelled to put something like that in. It's like, I'm absolutely... you know, I look like Nicole Kidman kind of thing, but I've got a slightly wonky left foot. <laughs> so for God's sake, no one's looking at your foot. <laughs> yeah Unless your foot's the size of the Titanic, no one notices. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. Um, and I think it does come from this idea that we, we have this double standard of saying we want, characters to be beautiful but they're not allowed to know they're beautiful and completely ignore again the fact that beauty of that nature requires maintenance
1: yeah, um, yeah absolutely yeah I mean not always there are exceptions there are people who are just kind of like well it's not fair you seem to get everything and it's like that's just the way life is so yeah. suck it up buttercup you
0: know <laughs> Yeah. some people just win the genetic lottery um but you know <laughs> at the end of the day um yeah so try not to let the character's physical description take over the entire story um genre dependent
1: <laughs> yeah i mean to be honest if you're writing specific types of romance then the physical description might be a really integral part of that mm. um that's not necessarily something I want to read but you know it doesn't matter I, I don't get to dictate everything that's written unfortunately
0: <laughs> so there we go <laughs>
1: we, just, we all have our crosses to bear. Uh, no I don't that can you
0: imagine if you have that responsibility though
1: <laughs> I think I could rise to the occasion no I'd be an awful person for doing that because there would be some things that I wouldn't be interested in that just wouldn't get get through and that's not fair because there's clearly a huge audience for those things
0: yeah absolutely yeah okay so i mean i I, we have already sort of touched on a little bit of how we use beauty i mean i have um how do you use beauty in your writing
1: um i um, i think the only person i've put in who is truly kind of like objectively stunning to everyone who looks at her is rebecca yeah or Kelsey Kelsey as well actually um, to a certain extent but more Rebecca it's kind of like well you know damn she won the genetic lottery kind of thing and she's not even making the most of it except when she decides she wants to have a one night stand <laughs> you know that's kind of the only time she really pays any attention to this this physical perfection she's been gifted with um, yeah but it, it's far more in the case of how characters see each other so for example um, going with Harker and Blackthorn Steve is not especially attractive no. He, you know, he's a little bit sort of awkward looking and out of proportion. He's not ugly, but he's just not really attractive. And you stand him next to his male friends and it's kind of like, well, he, you know, he's the least physically attractive of them in many ways. Yeah. And yet Amy's never been able to see him as unattractive because she, you know, even when they're just friends, she just loves him so much and thinks he's brilliant and that he's really interesting and intelligent and everything. That it's more a case of she just thinks, well, he's slightly unusual looking kind of thing. And Amy yeah. herself is like, well, obviously Steve thinks she's beautiful and other people think she's beautiful. But it tends to be people who know her and realize it's her massive intellect and her sunny nature behind this sort of very girl next door exterior that really attracts people and makes them think she's beautiful. Yeah, So I don't know. I guess I play back and forth with it. There are a few people where you'd go, oh yeah, that objectively just absolutely fucking stunning kind of thing.
0: Um Yeah. I I, for me it's very interesting with regards to perspective, because the characters each have a different perspective on one another. Um, you know, when we're looking at M's perspective, M does not see herself as beautiful. She sees her older sister obviously as gorgeous. She sees her younger sister as beautiful. And meanwhile, the moment you get to Amy, Amy feels very plain. You know, she re- she feels like Grace is, you know, supermodel stunning, and that Emmeline is this kind of ethereal stunning. You know, yeah. Um, and she feels very sort of unremarkable. And it is absolutely about perspective. It's about perspective of of the self versus other people, etc. And I
1: I think it works very well. Um, It's also really informed by the fact that she's grown up with these two older sisters who are both in their own ways, very talented, and she adores both of them. So, of course, she thinks they're beautiful. And, yeah, lots of other people do, because if they've got any sense, they would have noticed that. Um, But, yeah, again, a lot of it is is kind of perspective. Yeah. Um, It's like... The, the weird one is Kieran is, 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 I guess, kind of like the heartthrob kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone fancies him. The reason everyone fancies him is mostly because of his personality. I mean, he's tall and he's, you know, nice enough looking, but he's not like a complete Adonis or anything. No. But but he is so full of charm that everyone just can't see that he's kind of, you know, pretty basic Especially looking. redheads. Yes. <laughs> And Faye. and <laughs>
0: <I'd> Faye, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's one of those. It's a personal story now, but it for me, it's one of those things where growing up, I just always thought that my mother was absolutely beautiful, and you know, I still do. I think she she she's she was very very beautiful, um, and she had curly hair, and I loved her curly hair. Um, I wanted her curly hair, and I had very straight hair when I was younger and Then suddenly, I hit puberty, and my hair went curly and I was thrilled to bits because for me this was that was beautiful because my mother was beautiful, and I loved the curly hair and according to the standards of beauty at the time, things had changed because curly hair used to be a big beauty standard and then suddenly it had changed and it was all about straight hair and everyone was saying how much more attractive i would be how prettier i would be if i straightened my hair and i did not want to straighten my hair i liked having curly hair i went totally against what the standard was and the standard was changeable it was just fashion um and i i and i never got it i i and i still to this day i i like having curly hair and that's it and that was a very personal thing but it was absolutely about perspective um and about what i could see and what about about what i perceived other people as because yes objectively my mother was a beautiful person but also there was a whole emotional element which was that she was my mother um She was soft and kind and bright and had an amazing smile. And she was very intelligent. And all of these things were all combined with what she physically looked like. So at the end of the day, beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, absolutely. So... We have reached the end of our episode. As always, we're very interested to hear your thoughts on this, so please do let us know. Uh, Now, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week, and this week,
1: Jules, I believe that you've got one for us. I have. I recently finished the audio arc of a book, which I'm going to get the title right on this one. (laughs) It's called The Water Outlaws. by S.L. Huang I was trying to look up okay for guys. before this episode began I was trying to look up a detail about this book because I wanted to make sure I got it correct when I told you about it and I put in The Water Bandits and what came up was The Wet Bandits which is a completely different thing and not related to this at all apparently it's a film Um, (laughs) it was just it caused much hilarity so it's it's definitely not it is The Water Outlaws by S.L. Huang um it's based on a martial arts text called the Water margin and it's you know part legend, part philosophy kind of thing. but the actual story is a gender bent retelling of this whereby uh, it starts off with Lin shong who is a she's basically the you know martial arts teacher for a very specific area in China mm-hmm. um, despite being a woman and then when she happens to be in the presence of her superior he comes on to her and she refuses him um so he has her arrested and suddenly the scales fall from her eyes and she's like it's not enough to just be a woman who has managed to make her way in the world and say that all my all the other women need to do the same thing it's kind of this is something that needs to be something needs to be done about this then and you know while I'm I've been sort of living quite comfortably there's also all these poor people who've been taken advantage of this this kind of almost culturally accepted bullying is not acceptable um she escapes and she joins a group of outlaws in the mountains um and becomes their martial arts teacher and it it goes on from there and there's some great characters so if you like the old kung fu films that I kind of grew up with or you know if you like the untamed or if you like um sea dramas it kind of takes the best bits of all those things and you get these really larger than life characters with this really sort of the story of outlawry and overthrowing you know petty dictators in small areas that has this absolute golden heart and you know it's it's quite queer as well so there's also that in there it's, De- it's a great story it's and it's it's funny and it's horrible i mean there's some really really gory bits just to warn
0: you <laughs> okay
1: i like this as well this also sounds like there's a bit of a robin hood element to it there which uh yeah there, there's kind of that in there as well and i just i mean i know quite a bit about song dynasty china because once upon a time i was going to write something set there and i i I did a lot of research so i know a lot about the chinese history of the area etc and it's just um at that time period i should say and it, it does adhere to that quite faithfully and i yeah i just really enjoyed it i had a really good time with that book and it's a great audiobook as well i love the way the narrator takes certain characters there's one particular larger than life character who who is the flower monk and she basically got kicked out of her temple because she kept missing curfew because she was out getting drunk. <laughs> <laughs> she's like and she's huge. She's really she's a, a naturally very big woman, very strong, as easily as powerful as a man kind of thing. Basically yeah. pretty good at martial arts, although nowhere near as good as Lin Chong. And they kind of sort of adopt each other as sisters and she's not the brightest she, you know, she's not the sharpest tool in in the toolbox but she's got an absolute heart of gold and it, it it's brilliant and the way the narrator does her it, it's this really sort of extreme kind of almost cartoon-esque pronunciation that you would have expected from kind of i don't know if you've seen some of the dubbing on the kung fu film. <laughs> 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 which is some of it's disrespectful and some of it's kind of like no actually you've taken the chinese operatic style and really projected this and that's yeah. it it's the latter it's very much like that so it was really good
0: Ah, uh, okay i'm definitely gonna have to check that
1: out because it sounds I'm, really good honestly i liked it more than the untamed i feel it delivered more on the story than the untamed i think a lot of people are going to disagree with me but for me personally <laughs> it works better
0: okay i will definitely have to check that out
1: and on that note
0: guys i will say thank you but well, not just i <laughs> sorry <laughs> we will say thank you very much for listening <laughs> and we'll catch you guys next week
1: yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've been listening to dissecting dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughn.com. Please note, that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.